Hey guys, and welcome to Hunting Land, presented by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. If you'd like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is the podcast for you. This week's show is brought to you by The Hunting Exchange. In this day and age, we all know it is a struggle to sell hunting equipment on large social media platforms, and that's where The Hunting Exchange steps in. The Hunting Exchange is an app for iOS and Android that gives you a one-stop shop to buy and sell your hunting gear. Whether you're looking to sell your bow, broadheads, technical apparel, stands, saddles, or anything in between, this secure platform allows you to buy and sell gear with confidence. As a buyer, each dollar you spend is insured by PayPal. And as a seller, there are no hidden charges like other platforms, and listing items is also free. Gone are the days of having listings removed from Facebook and worrying about being banned and removed from groups for wanting to sell something as simple as your bow or knives. So head on over to the App Store or Google Play and experience a new hassle-free way to buy and sell hunting gear by downloading the Hunting Exchange app today. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Are you frustrated by your typical hunting and fishing magazines? Are you tired of reading content meant for the guys up north or in the Midwest? Don't get left behind following the guidance of the guys who don't hunt and fish in your home state. Pick up a Great Days Outdoors Magazine subscription and become a better Southern outdoorsman. Great Days Outdoors Magazine can be found at your local Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Tractor Supply Company, Rural King, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports and Outdoors, or you can save and buy online at greatdaysoutdoors.com. I'm your host, Joe Baya, here with my co-host, Clint Flowers. Clint, deer season is over for most folks. Florida's still got a few days left. I've seen so many people saying, oh, you know, deer season's over. I started started thinking about turkey hunting. I, I told them I, I never quit thinking about turkey hunting. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a constant in my mind, but it is right around the corner. I'm looking forward to learning in today's show uh, everything we can do with trapping to attract turkeys to your property. You wouldn't think that trapping would attract turkeys, but we're going to find out some of the reasons why it does. You've been getting your place ready for turkey season? Yeah, we've been doing a lot of burning. We got rained out of pretty much all of it last year, and we have burned 90%, 95% of our burnable acres just to get caught up. And then, um, you know, so it looks awesome. The birds are already responding on the cameras and, uh, really everything is, but I've just noticed a big jump in the number of turkeys on the move. But, you know, after this, we'll start the rotation of maybe a third or half the property getting burned every couple of years. So this year, we've just been focusing on catching up while we had the dry enough weather to do so. Yeah, it ought to be a great season for you guys. It's always, uh, always fun being able to hunt a fresh burn. Those turkeys love it. You know, it seems like they'll get in it. Gosh, it can still be smoking and they're already out in there. So, yep. It's my favorite time of year coming up. Well, let's get into the show today. We are talking with Alan Propes of North American Trapper, and we're going to learn everything you'd want to know about trapping for turkeys. All right, but before we do that today, joining us is Jonathan Smith, the executive director of Timber Mart South for this week's current timber market prices update. All right, Jonathan, welcome back to Huntland, man. What's been happening in Florida and what period of time we're going to be looking at today? I'm, I'm, I'm interested to hear this. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. 
Today we're going to be looking at fourth quarter 21 state averages. There was a big shakeup in Florida. Fourth quarter was an interesting time for timberland owners in parts of the state. So what's happening in the pine markets and in the hardwood markets? Yes, sir. It's been uh, pretty interesting uh, down in Florida. We've seen actually Florida is ranked number one for all of the pine products uh, as far as the highest prices on the stump. Uh, pine saw timber. Uh, for fourth quarter 21, state average was 37.41. Uh, pine chip and saw was 35.12, and pine pulpwood was 21.79. Wow, those are great prices in terms of the averages we've been seeing. Gosh, how far back does that go? When was the last time we saw prices like that? <laughs> uh, it, it's been back in the early 2000s since uh, those prices have been seen. So yeah, yeah. Well, I want to I want to talk more about why. But what about hardwood in Florida? Real quick is not exactly the same story. Florida is not necessarily known for its high quality hardwood, but uh, hardwood saw timber in Florida was 23.68, and hardwood pulpwood was 10.13. All right, well, let's dive in on the pine market. Why the increase? Uh, when did that happen? Is it still going on, you know, as we've entered into the first quarter of 22? What are the factors that, that caused that? So we've seen uh, your pine saw. I will say those are kind of merging together. A lot of your mills have done a lot of restructuring and reconfiguring so that they can all handle similar size logs. So you, what you've seen is... Uh, pine saw timber and pine chipping saw coming together at their price point and so but it's really been driven by wet weather uh, we've seen it moving upward over the last couple of quarters for pine chipping saw this is a new high pine saw timber is basically flat compared to the previous quarter but it's weather related as well as demand driven you know you've got the meals you've got a good active market in florida uh, you've got you know, limited land base in Florida and a lot of good competition between all of your products down there. So uh, it's it's a good lesson in uh, economics in, in Florida, if you will. Yeah, I've definitely seen that, you know, boots on the ground. I've seen a, a lot of stands being clear cut that weren't quote unquote ready because of this. Like you said, I mean, you're getting the, basically the same price for chip and saw as you are for saw timber. So a lot of a lot of reset. You know, you're talking about demand and, and competition. With Hurricane Michael, you know, back in 2018, I would imagine that that's had an effect on this too, just because there's just not as much wood available. That's right. We've seen a lot of that happen. I mean, you've got uh, areas that are, you just can't access because of the wet weather. And then you've got the loss of timber from uh, natural disasters. But then those mills are still active. Uh, they're still investing in, in their productivity. So they're actively pursuing the raw material. So it's, uh, it's a good place to be for a landowner right now. Sounds well, like it. I know the numbers aren't out yet, but can you give us a little snapshot into what's going on first quarter? I mean, does it look like this trend's continuing or is there any uh, prices starting to dip back down at all? I mean, it's, I mean, just my guess is that it's still been plenty wet. You know, I mean, it hadn't dried up much, at least not on my place. That's right. I mean, I, I think it really, you know, the first quarter – it's going to depend on what's accessible, you know, and, and any shifts. Uh, the, the end use material and, and the economy really drive how much of our end products are, are used. And as long as the economy stays strong, it, it's all, all up in there at this point to see 
what the economy is going to do and how that trickles down and, and what's accessible. Yeah. Well, I know we have, we have certainly been buying a lot more products online after Christmas. Gosh, the mountain of cardboard boxes <laughs> going to the you know, outside the house was amazing. Mm -hmm. I, I, a lot more paper products, I think. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the shift to a lot more e-commerce affects demand, you know, for paper products and things of that nature. But like we talked about before, these are the kind of things that it's as a, as a timberland owner, you want to pay attention to, to hopefully help you, you know, time your harvest and play the market somewhat if you can, and just keep a finger on the pulse of that. But like we always talk about, best way to do that is, is to go with somebody local who can tell you the differences between these statewide averages and what's happening in your market. Do you guys offer resources to your subscribers with regards to getting in touch with a consultant forester in their area? We do. Most states have lists. We usually uh, catalog where those are. So uh, if someone gets in touch with us, we'll try to point them in the right direction so that they can uh, get in touch with a local consultant, someone to help them. Like you say, uh, those guys, they know what the daily, what those mills are doing on a regular basis. Uh, and they know the characteristics of the stand that you have. And that that's important is, is pairing those two together, making sure that you're selling what the mill's buying and, uh, and you're selling it at the right time. So uh, very important there. Clint, have you seen any of this, this Florida increase bleed over? Have you been seeing buyers in Alabama in any of your markets, people, you know, dropping in, uh, stopping by to buy some wood and, and haul back to Florida? A little bit, not a whole lot. We've seen a lot of that for pine straw because a lot of the straw ground was destroyed in a hurricane in Florida. But we're definitely seeing the wet weather effects on other sites. Like I'm getting $22 a ton to a two-inch top for pine pulpwood right now. So I'm basically getting... Um, chip and saw prices for that stand um, five to seven years early. So I'm capitalizing. On yeah. Well, like we said, Jonathan, if folks uh, want to stay on top of this kind of stuff, uh, they need to check you guys out. How do they do that? How do they get in touch with you guys and, and stay in touch with Timber Mark South? Definitely. Uh, we'd love to talk to them. Uh, the, the easiest way to get our contact information is on our website, www.timbermark-south.com. Southern Seed and Feed, do you want to provide better nutrients to your deer? If so, try Southern Buck Food Plot Blends. Your deer will love it. At Southern Seed and Feed, they specialize in making textured feed for horses, cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, chickens, small animals, and wildlife. Their products are proven irresistible, scientifically formulated to promote excellent herd health and hunter satisfaction. They supply products to various distributors throughout the South. So visit their website at southernseedfeed.com or call 662-726-2638 to find the dealer nearest you. And also brought to you by Brush Clearing Services. Are you interested in building a healthy, sustainable habitat for a wide range of wildlife? If so, Brush Clearing Services and their 20 years of wildlife management experience should be your first choice. Brush Clearing Services Environmental Land Clearing Treatment selectively removes vegetation, leaving desirable trees and root structures undisturbed. Mulch left on site accelerates natural decomposition and reduces soil erosion while increasing soil moisture. Check out their full line of property and land services at www.brushclearingservices.com or call them at 706-718-1690.
folks, let's get into the show today. We are talking with Alan Propes of North American Trapper. Alan, welcome back to Huntland, man. Last time we talked, we were talking about how to minimize fawn predation when it comes to trapping coyotes. Today, we're talking about how to attract turkeys to your property. And I guess, in a way, we're talking about minimizing nest predation. Tell everybody, first off, first and foremost, tell everybody about North American Trapper, and uh, and then we're going to jump into it. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, yeah, North American Trapper, my company, I actually started in 2003, really trying to just do instructional DVDs and, and really show people how they can, you know, trap and, and have fun doing so. And it's kind of evolved into, you know, my lifestyle, uh, even though it was back then. It's completely my lifestyle now, the outdoors completely. In North American Trapper, anything that we're doing, whether it's social media, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, our website, it's pretty much geared towards helping people uh, have the information and the education through that process to go out there and control predators, control nest raiders, and become the steward of their own land. So that's kind of where we're at with it. And I like what you said, too, is that a lot of people look at trapping as like something that they need to do, or if they're doing it, they look at it as something that they have to do. But man, it's fun. You know, it can be fun, and it's a great way to introduce other people uh, into the outdoors who maybe don't hunt, you know, but they, they need to understand uh, all the aspects of what you just said, being a land steward. So it is, it is fun. It can be fun. So Absolutely. When we talk about trapping to benefit wild turkeys, that's our focus, right? If we just want to have as, as good of an environment as we can for wild turkeys, when do you feel is the most critical period to trap your property? Well, I think any time really that you can go out there and control nest raiders is a good time. But the most critical time, I think, is right before that brooding season starts. Uh, you know, you have all your ground nesting birds, you have your turkeys, your you know, quail, your duck, your pheasant, all those different birds. And they've done numerous studies across the country dealing with uh, nest raiders. And when, you, when you talk nest raiders, you're talking raccoons, possums, and skunks, predominantly. Now, they're not the only ones that, that attack nests and, and do those things, but they're the main three. And when you're trapping those uh, areas, the best time to do it, take those animals out of the equation, is right there before that brooding season, which is going to allow less pressure to the ground nesting birds. Um, in the studies that they've done, they've done a lot of different ones and, you know, various, you know, outcomes, but all the outcomes are not good for ground nesting birds. Like one study will show 73% of them were destroyed. Another study will show 100%. Another study, 69%. But they've, all of the studies have shown that the raccoon is the, number one meso predator when it comes to ground nesting birds so you know i guess that's a long about way to answer your question yeah yeah no i mean so it sounds like as soon as you i mean you trap as much as you can right i mean that's when you want to trap as much as you can but if you wanted mm -hmm. to pick on pick one time of the year to focus on it would be in front of during and and behind when those turkeys are sitting on nests now exactly you know, if we're thinking about, like you mentioned, raccoons, possums, skunks, I think we've all seen the videos out there of coyotes and bobcats attacking, you know, a hen while she's sitting on the nest. Do you put any emphasis on those bigger predators like bobcats and coyotes? 
or would you just focus on on nest predators like the raccoons and the skunks and the possums? Well, yeah, that's that's actually a really good question. Uh, the coyotes and bobcats, they're going to get their, we'll call it fair share of turkeys. When it comes to nests, though, predominantly the, the raccoon is is what you really want to go after. They're basically taking 70 to 75%. That's what most of the studies have shown. Out of all the nest depredations, the raccoon is usually in the 70% range of what is being taken. So, you know, as seven out of every 10 nests that are being destroyed, a raccoon's doing it. You might have another one done by a, a possum, another one done by a skunk, and maybe another one done by a a dog or a cat or a coyote or whatever. But the raccoon is is really what's doing the vast majority of those nest uh, nest raider type situations. So Alan, if you're trapping and you're successful in that, I mean, how long does that last? I mean, when how long is it before that that void is filled again and you're and you're back to where you were? What kind of breathing room do you get there? What I try and tell everybody when I'm doing my seminars and things of that nature, um, and and I've never obviously done a scientific study on this, but the, the data that's out there and things of that nature, you really have to do this consistently. You're not going to go out there. Let's say, you know, basically, and, you know, we can look at Missouri. We can look at South Dakota. We can look at Pennsylvania. We can look at Alabama. Pretty much across the board, anywhere in the country, turkey populations are falling, and they're falling kind of dramatically. And that's a multitude of different reasons. That can be birds of prey. That can be uh, habitat. That can be a lot of different things. But a lot of it does come down to the more predators and nest raiders per se in those areas because the fur market is pretty much abysmal now with that i try and let people know if you go out there and you pound nest raiders for one year don't expect your turkey population to get back to where it was and just continue to stay there this is an ongoing effort it's it's basically a war with nest raiders because nobody else is out there trapping because there's not a big value. So if you own a parcel of ground and you want more turkeys, say it's 50 acres, 100 acres, 500 acres, 3,000 acres, it doesn't matter. If you want more turkeys, you have to basically do a consistent effort year in, year out, and you will start to see a higher turkey population because you're taking those nest raiders out of the equation consistently. That makes sense. You know, like you say, you got to stay on it because just like we know that deer don't use one, you know, particular area, they're going to, they're going to travel. And then especially with like your younger bucks, I mean, if, if they're in a dominant bucks territory, they're going to get pushed around a lot by dominant does and dominant bucks. And it causes them to range out and find new habitat to take up, you know, their, to be their home range. And I would imagine predators are the same way, right? I mean, you're going to have probably area males that will range out from neighboring properties and, and find that, Hey, there's a void here and I can make a living here. Absolutely. Right now is actually that time of season for the males. The big barcoon are on the move looking for mates. So, you know, you're going to have, and, and what one is no different. It's not just raccoons, but coyotes and beavers and every other animal. What one animal found attractive through cover or food source or whatever they are looking for in their particular species 
if they're gone, if another one comes through, he's going to be like, geez, this is like utopia. I'm going to stick around here. So it's, it's that continued effort that is going to get you the results as time goes by. And it's fun. I try and equate it to when I, when I'm talking to people, if you're going to take a kid fishing for the first time and you want him to want to be a fisherman, you want him to, you know, kind of, I call it catching the fever. You're not going to take him out on the ocean for tuna or something of that nature. You're going to go get a bobber. You're going to put a worm on a hook. You're going to go snag some bluegills all day. And, and the kid's going to catch some fish. He's going to have some fun. He's going to want to go fishing. Same thing with trapping. There's nothing easier than getting some dog proofs, the Duke dog proof, and putting them in the ground and catching raccoons. And that's one of the things that I try and impress on adults to get a kid excited and get them into the tradition of trapping is to go out there, put some dog proofs in the ground and have some, have some fun and, and you're going to catch some critters. And you're also doing a service for the ground nesting birds in the same time. And the other thing I think a lot of people get caught up on is they say, well, what about raccoons? What about coyotes? What about possums? They're part of the landscape too, right? Like why should we trap them? They're supposed to be there. They've got their role. And, and I totally agree with that. But I, the thing I think a lot is missed by a lot of people is that you as a steward of the land owe it to the landscape to keep things in balance because we as humans are manipulating these environments in such a way that they aren't natural. Well, there's nothing natural about a pine plantation. And, you know, so if you're going to go in and manipulate one variable in an environment, you've got to be willing and do your part to manipulate the other variables because you're, a lot of people don't burn or a lot of people are planting pine plantations and doing things that are not natural to the landscape. That creates unfair environments for these predators. And then, like you said, without any fur market, so there's no incentive for anyone to do this other than there's no fur incentive to do this. This means we have way less trapping going on than we did. Uh, and that's, I, I think, a combination, like you said, of factors, whether it's habitat or predators, uh, the lack of trapping. All these things are leading to the decline of wild turkeys. So I want to go back to something you said, Alan, about when these predators are ranging out and they find this, this vacuum, right? It's this utopic area. They're like, man, this is great. There's food everywhere. And I got, nobody's trying to beat me up. You know, this is a great place. I'm going to hang out here. Does the same hold true for turkeys? So if you're trying to attract turkeys to your property, even if it's a small property, if that property doesn't have a lot of nest predators on it, is that going to make it a more attractive place for a turkey to spend its time? Well, I think that goes hand in hand. I mean, if you look at turkeys across the board, the number one thing that's going to attract turkeys is habitat. The food source, the cover, the roosting trees, you know, habitat is, is, to me, habitat is first and foremost for turkeys if they're going to be on your property. Now, with that being said, if you do have the habitat and you have the turkeys on your ground, what's that going to do? That's going to attract other critters. It's going to attract the bobcats. It's going to attract the coyotes. It's going to attract the, the raccoons and things because it is a food source. I mean, everything in nature basically loves a wild turkey all the way from, you know, the nest raider to the human. I mean, we, we sit down at Thanksgiving and everybody eats turkey. So they're just 
hunted 24 seven. I mean, Pennsylvania, we have fishers now, you know, I've heard stories of them going out on the limb and taking them right off the limb when they're sleeping. So, you know, everything in nature loves a Turkey, but I think the biggest thing to attracting turkeys is the habitat. And then once you have the habitat and have the turkeys, then the predators are definitely going to be there and stick around because that's a food source. Well, like you were saying in the beginning of the show, Clint, you know, y'all just burned your place. You just did a major habitat improvement for wild turkeys. And that's definitely going to attract turkeys to your property this year, but you couldn't last year. It's not because you weren't willing to. Right. But the question, you know, we've always got too is, you know, now what we know we want to trap but you know what types work best how many should we run you know in this particular track it's about 600 acres and you know other spots i've got clients that get as low as 40 acres i mean is there a per acre rate they should be running and what kind should they be running well if, if you're going after nest raiders the easiest most productive way is just the dog proof the duke dog proof it's a cylinder it's a trap it's got a cylinder it's got a trigger down in the cylinder Put your bait into about the trigger. We use a little bit of trailing scent with our system at North America Trapper. And and quite honestly, it's like taking candy from a baby. I, I don't feel there's a set number of traps. Like if you have 10 acres of ground, you need to set 40 traps. If you have 100 acres of ground, you need to set 400 traps. I don't have that. I think it all is dictated by the population and the sign of the animals. Let's say you're 600 acres, okay? And I'm sure you got some four-wheeler trails and two tracks through there and things. So if you're driving those roads and you see pitch points and you see the trails coming across the road where the coons and the small game animals are running, there's 20 places to put traps. I put traps to 20 places if I find them good locations with sign. Now, I do not set on sign. Uh, let me rephrase that. I do not set where there's no sign. I can go somewhere to trap coyotes and the farmer says, yeah, I see him running across that field every day, every day. And if I go out there and I don't see a track or scat, I don't put a trap there. <laughs> I just don't. I, I look for sign. And if you have 20 places that you can set traps on your land, set it in 20 places. If you feel that you have 40 locations where there's good sign, you set 40 locations. And whether it's, one coon making the tracks and the the sign at two locations. Well, that's fine. You put your traps at both locations. You catch a coon the first night. You don't catch anymore. You know, you got them out of that area. Now, you know, if you have one raccoon, you're going to have many. They're usually running, you know, pairs and threes and sometimes fours and fives. And that's one thing I recommend. If you do find good sign and you set on sign, if you're going to, if you find the location good enough to put one trap, you might as well put it two or maybe even three in that location. So if you find a spot that you feel is a good spot to set traps, double up, triple up, uh, even quadruple up at times, depending on the, the habitat and the terrain. But uh, I don't necessarily think there's a set number per that's going to be dictated by the sign and also the availability of, of what you have on your land. Well, and to that end, what kind of bait do you use and, and do you change baits based on what kind of sign you're seeing and what is good sign? Well, with raccoons, possums and skunks, when we're using the dog proofs, which is the only trap we use in these situations, it's, it's just so easy to put so many of them in the ground. At North American Trapper, we make a bait, it's called Coon Buster. We soak it in crawfish scent in nature that you know, we do a lot of traveling in the south, and if you've ever been down south and seen crawfish burrows, it actually kind of resembles 
that cylinder where they push the dirt up. Mm. So we soak it in crawfish. It's a mixture of, you know, pellets, and corn, and a bunch of different things. But we soak it in crawfish oil. And we also have a trailing scent, which is a sweet scent that we run over the top and, and out to the side. And we love that system. We put 120 sets in uh, two years ago when we went, I went to South Dakota to do some of that Nestrator stuff out there on a guy's uh, farm. He was having some major crop damage. He had just so many coons. We put 120 sets in. We cut 92 coons and two checks. Wow. With uh, those 120 sets. So we almost averaged a coon a trap, which is unbelievable. But there was a tremendous amount of coons there. As far as uh, sign, if you see a lot of tracks and tracks going both ways, you know, a trail, if you, if you find a trail and you have tracks on it and they're going both ways, that's a really good trail. And you want to double up and triple up on that trail. If you're down by the water's edge and you see a long coon track, well, they're running the water's edge. Put a trap in there. Put another one down maybe 10 yards. Once in a while, you find uh, on a point where two uh, waterways meet, I call it the crossover location. But, you know, you might find a coon toilet there. If you find a coon toilet, put a couple sets in there. Put three maybe. Um, actually, this year I took my kid trapping for the first time. I've never really pushed him into it. I kind of wanted him to come to me on it. And he's like, Dad, I think I want to trap this year. So I wanted to make sure he had some success quickly, which is not hard. But I took him to this one location, which is a crossover. And we found a coon toilet. He put three sets in and caught two coon the first night. Uh, so he had his first double. Caught, made his first set, caught a coon in the first set he ever made. So he was just tickled to death on on that, but giving him some success early. He can't wait to get out there again this year. All right, guys, let's take a quick break. Don't forget about our sponsors and make sure you support them when you're out in the marketplace. Bucks Island Marine. At BucksIsland.com, you can check out the full list of inventory from new and used bass, pontoon, and bow rider style boats, new and used motors, as well as kayaks. They love trade-ins, which provides a steady stream of used boats, and they can rig your boat at their 18-bay service department, or ship your new motor anywhere in the United States. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. They have factory-trained and certified technicians, so visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks are proud to be your metal roofing headquarters for over 40 years. Save time and money by buying from the most reliable manufacturer on the Gulf Coast. If you buy it today, you pick it up today. They offer 20 Sherwin-Williams colors to choose from and a 40-year warranty. Baker Metal and Dixie Supply, two names, same great service. With the addition of their new store in Cantonment, Florida, they now have eight locations to serve you. Dixie Supply and Baker Metalworks, your metal roofing headquarters. So, Alan, I, I thought it was interesting you said that, you know, you wanted your son to come to you uh, on trapping. And, and I've, that's how I've tried to approach all, all hunting and fishing uh, with my boys so far is I really want, I really want them to want to do it. I don't want to force them into it. And to that end, uh, I also want to manage the experience because some of the things that we get desensitized to having seen before, that can be, what's the word I'm looking for? I just want to make sure that I don't too much on them too early. So when you're introducing somebody new to trapping, whether that be a young child or an adult, 
how do you feel about dispatching animals? What, what do you feel like is the most humane way to do it and the best way to do it so that it's looked at as merciful by, by somebody who's not used to that environment? Yeah, this, this is a, a touchy subject with me. I get that question a lot. Well, how do you dispatch? How do you dispatch? And, you know, it's, it's, I, I get it. I, I understand. I, I shoot him in the head with a 22 short. That's what I, I, I put down every animal with a 22 short, unless it's a, a water situation where they're already, you know, expired. It's quick. It's sufficient. And it's um, as humane as you uh, can be in that situation. I'm a hundred percent. I've never wounded an animal and it got away from me when I have it in a trap. Okay. I'm a hundred percent. I have never missed one. I've never not gotten the animal. So I have a very steadfast opinion when it comes to that and how it relates to the hunting world, because there's a lot of hunters that say, Oh, I'm not, I'm not trapping because it's, that's that's cruel and humane, but literally, they may have things happen where they don't retrieve a deer or whatever. I'm a hundred percent. Right. I I I mean, there's no animal walking around hurt from one of my bullets. So it, it's a very touchy subject with uh, me and dealing with that because it's humane. We are. It's a cruel kindness, absolutely, to the one that we're taking out of the population, but. Not only are we helping, that's the thing that gets misplaced here a lot of times with this. We're helping the ground nesting birds. Yes, that's what we're doing. But we're also helping the species that we're trapping. We are taking them out of the equation, which gives more food source and more opportunity to the remaining of that species in that area. Also, Mother Nature doesn't have to step in and bring distemper or rabies or parvovirus or whatever the mange and use that to control the overpopulations it's 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 just a vicious cycle with the press that gets out there whether it's peter or the main society and they tug on the heartstrings of people where they're just giving half truths and innuendos when in essence, it's the sportsmen who have donated millions of dollars for animal habitat. It's the sportsmen who care. I will take any sportsman and most, if they're a true sportsman, I would say without a doubt, they care more for animals than any anti-hunter, anti-trapper ever could because our life is that. Yeah, and like you said, it, the goal here is not eradication of any species. The goal is balance. And in a lot of cases, we have created the imbalance, whether that be through habitat changes in our own practices. So it's really up to us to balance it back out. And I, I see that that's how trapping fits in again. You know, it's not that I don't want any raccoons ever. <laughs> it's just that. No, exactly. I love raccoons. Raccoons are a cool animal, man. Yeah, you don't want them overpopulated. You don't want so many that they're harming other animal populations. It's all about balance. So, you know, talking about dispatching a predator, when we've caught, let's just use the, the example, we've caught a raccoon, we caught him in a dog proof trap. 
is there anything that we need to do once we've dispatched that animal as far as changing that set? Does it ruin that set in any way, or can we go right back and rebait it and go with it? Yeah, you can take that coon out of the trap, rebait it, re-put it in the ground right where it was. Coons are not uh, hampered uh, any of the nest raiders, raccoons, possums, skunks. Uh, they're not hampered by human scent. They're not hampered by any blood or anything they're, they're gonna the next one coming by is gonna work the set too we we catch them time after time after time in in the same trap same set uh I, i'm even that way with predators you know a lot of people think and believe that you know you catch a possum in a set or in a trap oh i gotta put a new trap in and I got to dig a new bed. No, you don't. You just wipe the trap off and put it in the same bed. I love actually having another animal in a trap because I think it just, you know, not only allows to have eye appeal to attract the animal, but there's all that scent, that urine, that scat, everything that that animal smelled like. That's a much more natural thing in, in nature than I can ever recreate. So I love doing remakes where I've already had animals and I have no problem. I catch animals in the same traps, whether it's canines or nest raiders uh, in the same set, same trap, same place. So I think a lot of us like me, I mean, I, I look forward to this. I want to do it. I want to, you know, I want to be out there and really be really proactive, but you know, with jobs, kids and everything else and sports is tough to really have that time. So I know a lot of people are looking to hire a trapper, but don't really know where to find that person. You got any advice there? Well, you know, the best thing would be just ask around. Is there anybody traps in your area that will come over and, you know, hey, I'll let you come on my land if you come in and do some trapping for me. That's probably the most effective and easiest way to get somebody. Now, there are animal damage control people out there. That's more for homeowners, though, trying to get them out of their, right, you know, sheds and barns and things like that. But there are some people that trap uh, some bigger tracts of land throughout the country. I know probably three or four, but there's really no database or anything. That's more of a word of mouth thing dealing with that. But I'd say the best way to handle this, if you don't have the time, if, if you know, like you said, you know, your kids have baseball or soccer or whatever's going on, or if you're in the North or, you know, skiing or whatever, but, uh, the best way is just to ask around, hey, you know any trappers? And anybody out there that's listening to this, if you are looking for a trapper and you can't find anybody, uh, you can find probably a lot of guys through your own state organization. Just get on Facebook. If you live in Pennsylvania, get on and type in Pennsylvania Trappers Association. If you live in Ohio, Ohio Trappers Association, Maryland, wherever. And there's going to be a lot of people on those pages in those you know specific states that probably live within 10 miles and you didn't even know. It. So, you know, most trappers these days with the theft that goes on, you know, with the stealing of the traps and and, you know, people watching you, what are you doing? And all these things, you know, a lot of travelers across the country are pretty stealth. <laughs> they're, they're in and out making it look like they're maybe they have a white flag on their car or put an orange cone up. So nobody recognizes that somebody's doing something there and they just think it's a broke down car while they're down over the bank checking their traps. And then they run up and get in their car and run back down the road. So I would say the easiest way would be just do some research on your state organization. You're going to find enough guys to probably come in and do some trapping for you. 
Oh, okay. Alan, as important as this is, I think though, you've done a good job of, of talking about the importance of it, but it sounds like if you want reliability and you want to make sure you can be consistent with this, the key is to learn how to do it yourself, get yourself equipped and, and go have some fun with it too. Uh, if folks, exactly. if folks want to you know, reach out uh, to you guys over at North American Trapper or look for more information on the subject, where, how can they find you guys online? Uh, it's just basically every social medium we're on is North American Trapper. If you go to Facebook or Instagram or YouTube, look up, type in search North American Trapper. Um, we're going to pop up YouTube. We have a whole beginner series that we've been putting up. We've been putting up a different topic once a week, every Sunday that launches. And I think we're on part 11 or 12 right now on that. We also have a lot of different videos showing dog proof sets and catches and also canine sets and so we're we're trying to put some really good educational content out there for people and if anybody's looking to equip themselves they can go to our website we got pretty much everything you're going to need at northamericantrapper.com and we have kits that are set up for beginners specifically for beginners and that's actually what i'm doing this weekend i'm heading to the nwtf i'm pretty humbled that they actually asked me to come down there and do seminars on friday and saturday i'm the first person to ever speak there on trapping so that's uh that's a good progress for for trapping and trappers in general to where you know we're getting that information out there and letting people know that this is something that they can do on their own you guys hit it hit it on the head with that well alan uh man it's been enlightening and uh i know you got me fired up to get out there and and trap some nest predators uh it's something i can do during turkey season you know it's something to to do during turkey season when i'm not chasing after a bird and uh looking forward to it so thanks for joining us no i appreciate you having me on and and as i always say if you have any questions feel free to reach out and i'll be more than happy to help you or anybody else in your own journey uh when you go afield clint i've seen firsthand what intensive trapping even on a smaller acreage property can do for for turkey hunting that year i mean you know i'm talking you know if you're trapping this spring and that that next spring man i've seen it make a really significant difference and the thing that really hit home with me is that while habitat might be the foundation for all this, not everybody can manipulate those habitats that they're hunting in. You know, I mean, not everybody's a landowner that can go out and just do a prescribed fire, but you can trap, you can do it right now. And it, and it will make a difference to your local uh, wild turkey populations. Yeah. And it also gives you something else to do. Another reason to get out in the woods and enjoy your property. Yeah, no doubt, man. Uh, gives you a way to, a reason to walk it all out too. That's some, one of the things that's funny about land ownership is you get so busy when you're there doing things and hunting, whatever it may be. There's still places on your property you've never set foot on. And, you know, this is a good way to really get out and explore, go with friends. It's not something you got to be quiet while you do. It's just a great way to spend time outdoors and uh, really help balance out those populations. Yep. I need all the help I can get. So the more turkeys I've got, the more turkeys I can scare and still be successful. No doubt, man. Well, hey, uh, you know, wrapping it up, how are things going for you uh, in the land business? Is, uh, has it been just as hot of a start to 2022 as 2021 was for really the whole company? Yeah. You know, with these interest rates climbing and, and talk of more climbs, things have really sped up more. I mean, we're hitting some 
some inventory shortages, you know, so what we really need right now is, is sellers and listings and, you know, really inventory to put in front of all these buyers we've got. I've got, uh, I've had about 40 million go under contract, I think since January 1st already. And we've got pre-qualified or cash buyers just standing in line, waiting on the inventory to come that, you know, really fits their search. And it's just slim pickings right now. So you hear of any willing sellers right now, now is the time to capitalize on it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the properties that I've had out there that were, you know, they're priced accurately, man, you could have sold them 10, 20 times in some cases after they go under contract. There's plenty of buyers. It's the right time. How long that will last is anybody's guess, but it's it's a good time right now. Yep. And it's good for the buyers too, because rates are still historically low. So your dollar goes a lot further. So, I mean, right now it's really a good for both sides. And, you know, at some point that starts to go backwards, especially for for buyers and for sellers, because the more expensive that money is, the less people are going to be able to afford to pay for that land. Yeah. And also you're, I'm seeing it. I don't know if you're seeing it in your markets, but I'm seeing sellers who have, uh, they've known they needed to sell their property, you know, that it was going to need to be sold at some point. And they've just kind of hemmed and hawed, or maybe they just didn't really get motivated. But this environment that we're in right now is, is causing them to finally get motivated to do it. And, I'm seeing some properties hit the market that are really signature properties. I mean, things that, that haven't hit the market in a long time. Do you still see, are you still seeing that where you're working? Yeah. The, uh, we've got a lot of smart sellers that are realizing that and they're really considering bringing theirs to market for that reason. And some did, and they sold quickly, uh, you know, 6,000, 3,000 acre tracks, big tracks like that, that historically take a good amount of time to get moved. We're moving in months or less to, you know, for great prices. So uh, again, we're still, we need all the sellers we can get right now, but it is definitely bringing a, a lot more of those type properties to the forefront for those landowners. Yeah. Really still an opportunity for both sides. And, you know, when you talk to guys that have owned land for decades and you ask them about uh, how they got started investing in land and owning land, I, there's very few that I meet that haven't just said, man, I wish I'd have bought more. Like I, <laughs> I wish I could have bought about everything I could get my hands on because it just over the long term, even really markets be damned. They end up making out in the long term. Yeah, no, I, I ride with, with savvy guys that have been in land ownership or some form of land business for decades. And they're, we're constantly pointing out the window. I could have bought this for that. And I could have bought that one for this. And they're just kicking themselves for not doing it. Yeah. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week. Appreciate you joining us. We want to make it easy for you to listen. So here's a handy option for you. To get the podcast emailed to you each week, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. You'll join our email list. And wherever you are listening to podcasts, go ahead, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us a written review. We'd love to hear from you. If you've got a show topic, that you are interested in and like to see us cover, just email us at pros at landhunting.com. That's going to do it for us. Y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next time. This week's Hunt Land Show is brought to you by First South Farm Credit. First South can help you finance or refinance that perfect piece of land. To find out how First South can help you, visit their website at firstsouthland.com or call them at 800-955-1722. They are an equal housing lender. And also by Fatanas Defense. The Fatanas Defense PD Pro Ultra Light, Ultra Compact Night Vision System. Simply the best in class night vision systems ever built. 
Contact FatanasDefense.com to learn more. Fatanas Defense, Masters of Darkness. And also brought to you by Alabama Farmers Co-op. Alabama Farmers Cooperative has been serving gardeners, farmers, and everyone in between for 85 years. Visit www.alafarm.com for more information and to find a co-op near you. And also Boaters List. Boaters List is your new reliable and fast resource designed to link everyone to everything on the water. Locate anything from fuel docks to service repairs or rentals of large yachts all the way down to paddle and all things in between. BoatersList.com will always strive to make it better on the water. 